This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone. Thanks for listening. Four years ago, Jerry Brisson and I started this show on News Talk 760 WJR in Detroit. This flagship station is one of the largest talk radio stations in America and is referred to as the Great Voice of the Great Lakes. Although we are located here in Michigan, we have messages from as far away as Texas where people hear our show. The show continues to air on WJR and is now a top-rated podcast that focuses on food security here in the U.S. We have grown by over 1,400% in the past few years, and we have more than 50,000 downloads of our podcasts and listeners in at least 13 different countries. We started with the goal of changing the conversation about food insecurity in Michigan, and it appears we are reaching far past the boundaries of the state. More recently, we wanted to create a movement of people who would develop the personal belief that hunger could be solved. And together, we developed the personal will by dedicating our time, talent, and treasure to creating a food-secure state. We knew that personal will would not be enough, but with enough of us, we could forge a path and create the political will necessary to sustain our efforts. Today, I want Jerry and I to reflect on three vitally important conversations that we had during this year, 2021. These three topics are pivotal regarding our future and how we get to the next level of food security for our state. Join Jerry Brisson and me next as we go deeper into key strategic points in our efforts to create a food secure state. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for being with us. Jerry Brisson, you're looking dapper today on Zoom, as always, and uh, it's great to see you, my friend. Well, great to see you, too, and uh, great to be together to, you know, highlight some of the key points that we need to, that we need to, you know, just continue to cover and to continue to remind everybody this is what's going on and this is why and this is why it's important. So uh, it was fun to listen to some of the clips from uh, some of the past shows as we prepared for this. Uh, I do have to say, sometimes hearing myself, I go, good heaven's sake, I can't believe you've done this with me for four years. But uh, but thank you for your patience and your, uh, your <laughs> willingness, doctor, to, to put up with me. I guess that's what I'm going to say to that. Well, no, it's, it's my pleasure, and uh, you know it is awkward to always kind of hear yourself on uh, on the media for sure. But you know we've been doing this four years together, and and you know as I said in the monologue, we started the show with the idea of changing the conversation about food insecurity, and really what we wanted to change, Jerry, was that it's possible, the potential is there to solve this problem, and we've talked about that a lot over four years. Then we wanted to create this idea of a movement, a group of people who had the same shared belief and dedication. And, you know, we've had some pretty uh, significant conversations with people, 
But on a philosophical level, I think the three things we're going to talk about today are pivotal about how we move this work forward and go to the next level of food insecurity. And one, I think, is the value of food. And this was uh, from a show that was done uh, earlier this year where you really busted this myth about the value that food has in creating food security and addressing poverty and helping people lift themselves out of poverty. And I think it was brilliant, and I wanted us to, uh, to hear it. So give me a quick thought of yours, and then we'll pick it up on the other side of this clip. Well, I think the clip speaks for itself. So, so let's hear it, and then it will go from there. We've talked about Maslow's hierarchy many, many times on this show. Here's the myth. Providing food to people doesn't address the root causes of hunger. I'm going to say it again. Providing food for people doesn't address the root causes of hunger. So actually, there's a lot of debate about how to address the root causes of hunger. But if we think that getting a job or getting training or getting education is part of the answer, then we need to make sure that people who need a job or training or education are well nourished because they will not be as successful in any of those things if they don't have the food they need today. Providing food today to meet people's needs today is a launch pad for the next success in their life. We know this is true. There has been a huge number of studies about what happens to kids when they don't get enough nourishment for school. Flat out, they don't learn. You cannot address any other societal issue effectively without providing food to people who are hungry today. That's why providing food is a critical piece of addressing the root causes of hunger. And I know I can go on this rant for a long time. I get so tired of hearing people say, well, you're not addressing the root causes of hunger. And I'm like, what? Have you ever worked with someone in your life who's food insecure and watched them struggle with that and spend 80% of a day just trying to figure out how to get food for their kids and family? And all you need is a little experience in real life to go, my gosh, let's take care of this. Let's get hunger off the table so that people can move on to the next success in their life. So, Jerry, that's a, that, was a, that was a pretty good rant, I might say. Um, well, I've been teasing you a bit about it because uh, it, it, it was so clear the value that food plays in not only solving hunger but also addressing root causes. What are your thoughts after you've heard that fresh and new? Well, I, I have to say that at the, at the time we did that show, I was involved in some conversations actually with the national uh, group of food bankers who were, you know, discussing, you know, how much of what is it going to take to, to solve uh, food insecurity, but also, you know, ranging into poverty and homelessness and some of the other things that are really important for the people that we serve. And so I was a little bit agitated <laughs> by the fact that there are people that think that feeding people today is just a Band-Aid. Now, I've been at this for over 30 years. In fact, it's, gosh, probably 
you know, just a few years shy of 40 years, um, which explains some of the gray in my beard. <laughs> but, um, but I can tell you, walking alongside people as they're going through a tough spot in their life and, and serving them and, and understanding how feeding people today not only solves the immediate problem, but it gives people hope and it gives people a sense that somebody cares and there's more to life than bucketing things like education and job opportunities and saying well if we had enough of that it would solve everything it won't it won't life is complicated and and part of the complication of life is what people need to do to to be self-sufficient or to do as much as they possibly can for themselves whether that's quite self-sufficient or not it's it takes a lot out of a person um, whose circumstances are dire and sometimes it takes more time than you want it to take but you have to walk with you can't talk at people and we've seen that in so many ways. We see it in people who are trying to lose weight, but they can't get their diet right. Well, you know, making those choices and making those changes takes time. In the meantime, while people are making choices and changes that are gonna positively impact their life, you have to walk with them. You have to show compassion and concern for this moment. And that means feeding people today. And when you do that, the power of it goes beyond the immediate relief of today's hunger. And it gives people the energy and the ability to do whatever it is they can do next. And it may be as fast as you want, and it may not be. And there's a broad range of experiences that people are having and will have that determine how long it takes for someone to really be able to be lifted up to the point where they don't need help anymore. But I can tell you this. A huge number of people that get help today won't need help six months from now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that. I think that's a really important point, Jerry, to kind of just, you know, peel the layers off this onion of why feeding people today contributes to addressing the root cause of why they need food today. And that there are some people who, you know, if you can help them with take one of these financial trade-offs, off the table, so to speak, uh, so they don't have to make a choice between utilities and medicine or, or transportation and food, that that's enough. That's enough for them. Now they might find themselves back and, you know, when, when, when they're, they're volatile, right? But, but it doesn't take a lot for them to be able to, to, to get themselves out of, of the circumstances they're in and not need the help from community-based organizations or from government. And yeah. I think that's, that's an essence of, of what we mean when we talk about self-sufficiency. Well, let's, let's just, you know, when you boil life down into its simplest things, let's take education. Well, we're going to make sure everyone has an education. Okay. Let's spend money on that. Now, are you going to make sure every single teacher makes no mistakes and likes every student equally mm -hmm. and does a perfect job of teaching the classes that they're supposed to be teaching? Are you going to do that? Because if you don't do that, you will leave people behind, right? So then you say, well, what are those teachers going through? How many of them are food insecure? I mean, you know, when it comes right down to it, solving any one 
of the things that hold people back. You can say, we're going to give everyone a job opportunity. Okay, are you going to make sure they have a good boss? Are you going to make sure that boss is a good manager? Are you going to make sure that boss doesn't have negative attitudes about this employee for whatever reason? Are you going to make sure that that boss is not victimizing the people who are working for them? I mean, the bottom line is, life is way more complicated than just saying, fix this. And anything you try to fix, whether it's education or opportunities for employment, you are going to come across people who are food insecure that need that problem off the table for them to be their best. And because mm. you can't guarantee that everyone will be their best all the time, and you can't guarantee that everyone will have all the emotional stability and intellectual capacity and friendliness and you know, physical capacity to do everything they need to do all the time, you are going to have to deal with the fact that people will need food today. And by giving them food today, you are helping to solve those longer term issues. So it's control the controllables, right? Let's well, do what we can do. Especially uh, something that's so inexpensive relative to the other things that need to be fixed. It's available. We know what it is. We know how to get it to people. We know it has tremendous value. And if we solve it, it helps every other thing. I mean, I know this is like, it, I'm almost at that rant point again, right? Because, <laughs> well, because I'm so convinced that taking care of this in a systematic way is the thing that takes us to the next thing we have to solve much quicker, much better. Plus, how great would it be if we all learned how to work together well enough that we could solve hunger? How many other things could we then work together well enough to solve? Well, that's why we named the we renamed the show after a couple of years in Food First because we believe that's the first step toward either solving poverty or creating self-sufficiency or helping people create self-sufficiency for themselves. So that's, uh, that's, that's Jerry's rant, and he's absolutely convinced that uh, feeding people today is a, is a big step towards solving root causes of hunger and food insecurity. And so we agree with him. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be your partner in this work, and I appreciate your deep thoughtfulness that comes from a lot of years of experience in this work. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're back to talk about another pivotal conversation that Jerry and I had here on Food First Michigan. In our next segment, you come back and be with us. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson where we're talking about, for this show, a, a bit of a different format for the show, Jerry. I don't think we've ever done this before, where we're taking key conversations, concepts, really, that we talked about in earlier shows and trying to flesh those out a little bit here. We did in that last segment um, a show that came from one of our Mythbusters show where we, we saw the value of, of food first uh, in, in really addressing the root causes of why people find themselves to be food insecure. This segment, we're going to talk about kind of the origins of food insecurity. Um, so maybe to start off, let's, let's get you to share with us um, a quick thoughts on the definition of food insecurity. Well, food insecurity is not, it's not 
being without food. It means the likelihood that you'll be without food is great enough that you don't know if you're going to have it or not. That's what it means. And most people who are food insecure, by, by averages, are missing five meals a week. They're not missing all their meals, and they're not missing meals every week, and sometimes they'll go for a month without missing any meals. But on average, they're missing five meals a week. Now, eating less is one of the coping strategies for people who don't have enough money to make ends meet, by the way. We talked about that just recently on one of our shows. So food insecurity is when you have to work at making sure you know where your next meal is coming from because you just don't know. And that takes creative thinking and it takes effort and it also creates a lot of household stress, especially if you have a couple kids. And because half of all the people who get help, in fact it's a little bit more than that now, are employed. So they have a job, they're getting their kids to school, they're doing most of the things we all do, but it's just not enough to make ends meet. And sometimes that's because of underemployment or, or a health problem or the loss of a breadwinner from the home, right? So we see food insecurity primarily showing up in families with children. That's the biggest shock to people. They don't think about food insecurity as a family thing. They think about it as that guy on the corner that says, we'll work for food. Hmm. But in fact, it's mostly uh, parents with children that have uh, food insecurity because children take a little more effort. It takes a little more to to uh, make enough money to afford a family, and that's where you see it most often. So I know that's kind of a lengthy description, but I think it's really important not to only understand the definition of food insecurity, but to understand who is most likely to be food insecure. So um, so there you have it. It's It's not knowing if you're going to have enough and that that's a consistent and constant stress in your life. So it's a bit illogical, right, for us to live in uh, the United States of America, a very wealthy country, uh, especially compared to many of the other countries in the world, um, where people would struggle to have access to the food that they both want and need. It's, it's difficult to wrestle with that. I mean, I've talked to legislators before who honestly were struggling to connect the dots to say, you know, well, why? Why would people have this struggle? And so in a recent show, we kind of unpacked that as we saw food insecurity really as a man-made problem. Here's the clip. The root causes of hunger, the broad range of evidence suggests arise from a complex interaction of employment status, educational level, inadequate income from employment, marital status, the presence of children, and especially access to food assistance either from the private or public sectors. So I'm going to read it again because there's a lot in there, but we're going to pick this apart a little bit. It's that the root causes of hunger arise from a complex interaction of employment status, educational level, inadequate income from employment, marital status, the presence of children, and especially access to food assistance from the private or public sectors. So, so when we think about, you know, a lot of people want to start the conversation by saying that poverty causes hunger. This report actually says, in fact, it is hunger in many cases that cause poverty. 
And so mm -hmm. when we think about, you know, why we're here, I mean, why we're here is because we haven't done what we need to do to put for food first, folks. And when you put food first, you actually begin to address the underlying causes, not just of hunger, but of poverty itself. And I think that, you know, again, this is stuff we've talked about a lot on our show, but to go back to the, to the, um, the research that supports this point of view is really, really important. So, Jerry, there's a, a, a pretty bold statement about the origin of food insecurity, that it's our own creation, right? And, and, and it's something that mankind has created. It's a result of a, of a system, uh, several systems, in fact, one being economically. And, and it's, it is a, a problem that we've created, that we've allowed to exist one that we haven't, as you said on the show many times, haven't ever solved, but we believe we have the capability to do that. And one of the analogies I think that comes through here is uh, I think probably most uh, folks may be listening to the show, and certainly you and I, we both have bought homes, houses that we lived in. I've never built a house. I bought a house that was already built. And every time I've done that, I found out there was a few things in it that needed to be fixed. Maybe it was the air conditioner, maybe it was the roof. And you know what I couldn't do, Jerry, is look back to the, the, the guy who built the house or any of the previous owners and say, you know what, this is your problem. You, the <laughs> roof leaks today and you built this house 180 years ago. I can't go back to that guy. The responsibility to fix the problem that I inherited belongs to me. Yeah, it's one of one of the things I like that you say often is, you know, you can spend an awful lot of time fixing the blame and get nothing done, or you can fix the problem and get everything done, right? right? And so I, I do agree with you. I think it's important to understand the history of what got us here because it'll help us prevent uh, mistakes in the future and it'll help us be more compassionate and understanding to everyone involved in the solution moving forward but we can't stop there right we have to continue to move forward until the problem is actually solved um, and and of course that's what we're about right getting all the people who need to be part of the solution involved in the solution and to some degree I want to say letting everyone know they don't have to do all the lifting they just have to lift their part, you know, and if everybody lifts their part, this becomes a solvable problem. But we'll never get there if we're arguing about whose fault it is, you know. Right. Yeah, you know, we'll, no, that's, that's a fruitless conversation, right? I mean, the problem is, exists today, so what we have to do is own it today. Yeah. I think understanding the origins are very important. Understanding the impact through history is vital. It helps us get, get perspective, but the problem is mine to solve. It's ours to solve. Regardless of, of uh, again, fixing the blame is a waste of time. Let's, let's concentrate on fixing the problem, creating a positive solution. And that's the true test of leadership for every one of us. And you could see it really clearly during the pandemic. It was urgent, people knew it was urgent, they let their, their prejudices aside for a while, and mm -hmm. they said, you know what, we just want to help. And as a result, 
we were able to help more people than ever in our history. Now, some people are saying, well, now those people don't want to go back to work and it's because they got so used to all that help. And I say, well, no, see, now we're now we're taking our our prejudices again and we're laying them on top of another dynamic that is also consequential because of the pandemic, something it's going to take us a long time to figure out exactly why. What did change in people that made them change their employment expectations and their employment habits? And how are we going to understand that moving forward? I can tell you, I employ about 140 or so people at Gleaners, and I keep learning from them. I keep learning the things that I need to do to make a work environment that fits their life better, that helps them become their best in the way they want to become their best, not necessarily the way I want to. Well, okay. It doesn't mean I don't struggle with certain jobs and filling them and making sure that I can give people what they need, but it's not a one-sided thing, right? It's not just them. And therein lies the tale. Mm. Solving these problems is complicated. We can't make simple solutions to complicated problems. We've got to keep looking at it and learning from it. Absolutely. I agree. Well, that you know, that's a pivotal conversation, I think, is if we come come to grips as a society to say, you know, we might not have created this, but we do own it and work from there to solve and create a food secure Michigan. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. And we're back for a conversation about the stress that food insecure families experience in just a moment. First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Jerry, we're talking about what I believe, and I think you believe with me. You agreed to do the show today, so I'm assuming you agree. These were three pivotal, philosophical, foundational conversations that we had during our show this year, and the impact they have on how we actually approach and do this work of food security. And, you know, we talked about uh, in the earlier segments of the, the impact of that, that food has on not only people's um, life today, but also as it addresses the root causes of food insecurity. We talked about also, um, you know, that, that this is our problem to solve. Uh, regardless of where it, it started, we haven't solved it, and so it is our problem to own. And now I want us to talk about um, a show we did recently, uh, really, uh, talks about the trauma associated with food insecurity. And uh, you've been in doing this work now for decades and uh, have encountered a lot of people in the community, and you've seen this firsthand. So... I want us to unpack this a little bit. I always talk about the toxic stress of being food insecure, that your mind is held captive. And that's where I originate this idea of if you're hungry, you only have one problem. Now, practically speaking, we know that people who are struggling with food insecurity and are hungry today have more than one problem. But the idea is that their mind is held captive by this toxic stress. And you know, Jerry, I think that the, this chronic toxic stress, this trauma of being food insecure gets lived out in different ways. 
Um, you know, I'm often reminded of the commercial that's on television where someone is, um, hasn't eaten, and so they say he, he or she has become hangry. At like they're, right. they're, they're hungry, and now it gets manifested. It changes them into this angry person. And so one of the things that I've, I've realized some time ago in my life is that when I'm dealing with people and the reaction outweighs the issue at hand, there's something else going on. Yeah. So maybe, um, maybe, maybe somebody, um, you know, uh, bumps into you in the store or something and it, it and it's just an accident. But if you're living under that stress, you view that differently. And, and, and that's kind of like the, 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 you know, the, the breaking point and you re and a person reacts to that that bump in the store and and it is not that the bump was that big a deal it's just all this other stress has built up from not having enough particularly in this case enough access to the type of food you need for yourself and for your family so i think that this you know, is very telling that it gets lived out in ways that we wouldn't expect. So when the, when the reaction outweighs the issue, there's something else going on. And it very well could be, for some people, food insecurity. Tell me about it. What, what have you seen in your decades in this work? Most people who are food insecure are vulnerable, right? They're vulnerable. They have things going on in their life that are pretty big challenges and uh and and it's hard to get it's hard to plan anything more than than a short period of time at a time and because of that they get taken advantage of and other things are happening in their life that makes their life very challenging so so there's a lot of things that compound the stress when you've got those kind of things going on in your life and you're not sure if you're going to have enough food to eat you often reach the end of your rope sooner than you might otherwise and that creates another level of stress then there's the stress of who we want to be and nobody gets up in the morning and says I wanted to be dependent on somebody else I mean I, I suppose I can't say nobody but but I will say that the vast majority of people want to get up in the morning and, and have everything they need because they were able to do what they needed to do to, to get it so so again, you know, there, there's so many things wrapped up internally and externally in the, the stress that, that, that people live through. When you meet people who are coming for help, the first things you see are relief and gratitude. Hmm. That, is, that is way, 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 way the most common thing you see because people wait too long to get help. I know I say this all the time, but it is true. People wait too long. And when they finally come and get help and realize, you know, that wasn't that bad. I got what I needed. Their relief and gratitude is immediate and their life is immediately a little bit better. Now, we don't exaggerate what we do to help people in this, this point in their life where they need this help, but we recognize it for what it is. And so those emotional truths that people are living through become part and parcel of what you see and they go from negative to positive 
And if they know this is a consistent thing that they can get this food help and it's food that they want to need and it's going to it's going to help them, you know, make their life better and more manageable, it changes their life and their perspective. That's what you see when you work in a pantry. Now, does that mean you don't see people coming in who have very chronic problems, whether they're health problems or substance abuse problems or mental health problems? No, you certainly see people coming who need help all the time and will probably need help for the rest of their life. But that isn't the majority of people you see. I talk about kids and families a lot because that's what you see. You sure. see a lot of parents who are just, you know, trying to figure out how to pay the rent and how to pay for school and how to get enough food on the table. You see a lot of that. So, so again, um, you know, I, I do believe that helping with the toxic stress is one of the reasons why this makes more than just a short-term impact. Jerry, you know, that's really good because um, let me just turn the corner here a little bit up and, and maybe illustrate a, a little bit about how this food insecurity and hunger gets lived out in people's lives. So um, there, are, there are commercials on television that display a, a new concept that we've invented and it's called hangry. So you take anger and angry and you put H in front of it and people are hangry because they don't, they haven't had anything to eat. And so you've seen this in, in television commercials and, and of course they make light of it and humor, but if you're living this, there's nothing funny about it. And that leads me to the concept, the principle, I guess, that sometimes you will encounter people, particularly in school, students, children in school, where the, the, uh, reaction to a problem outweighs the problem. And when that happens in adults or in children, it always, and I mean always, means something else is going on with them. Yeah. I, I don't know how many times I've heard teachers say, particularly new teachers say, I have students in my classroom that they know that if they can get to my second period class, I will have an energy bar for them. And it, it has a direct impact on their behavior. Yeah. In a positive way. And so, you know, that's what we're talking about. It, toxic stress changes you. It, it, it alters you and how you function and how you act and how you react, what your attitudes are. And that's why one of the reasons, I guess, is why we're so passionate about taking hunger off the table because it's unfair to have expectations of people when they're dealing with hangry. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to make one other point to this too, and it is it's amazing how well people actually do in spite of it all. You know, yeah. we're, we are inspired by the people we serve. We are. Because in incredibly stressful circumstances, they manage to get up every day, keep putting one foot in front of the other, and making it through one day at a time, one day at a time, one day at a time. And it is amazing how resourceful people are when they have so few resources to work with. So at the same time, there's no question that the dynamic of hangry is a constant right it's a constant yep. 
and so it makes things harder and it is appropriate to have the right expectations i totally agree well three very significant conversations that we've had on our show food first michigan here on wjr and on our podcast uh, that i think really inform our philosophical foundation about how we go about this work here for the Food Bank Council of Michigan and our seven Feeding America food banks in the states. Jerry and I are going to come back for just a couple of minutes and wrap up this show. We want you to stay with us. We're going to be right here. So Jerry, three pivotal topics uh, we talked about on this show. There's probably more, don't you think? And um, I think the show that we did uh, about why conservatives should um, care about our work of creating a food secure Michigan was pivotal too. We might have to pick that up on another show, but these were three that I thought were foundational. I liked it a lot. It was fun to, to listen to those segments again and be reminded of the scope of things that we talk about. I have to admit, you know, I, I love the science shows. I, I love hearing about food in the field and the energy costs and the, the you know, the amount of waste. And, and I mean, I love those shows, too. You know, I love talking about health care and the implications. And, you know, I, I tend to get all wrapped up in the in the evidence that this works. Right. But I think part of the reason is because for so many years there was nobody even collecting evidence. And now there's so much evidence what difference this makes. But but. Underneath all of that is what we covered in the show today. People are right. food insecure. It's wrong. It creates a lot of harm. It needs to be fixed. You know, it's, a, it's our own fault that we don't fix it. Let's fix that, and, uh, and we can get this done. So it was, it was fun to, to listen to some of those points and to make a few more. Right. Well, I think you're talking about Cheryl Kirschenbaum and Dr. Dawn Opal as well when you talk about the evidence out there on food waste and energy and certainly about health care. Um, you're right. Those are fun shows, too. I really enjoy them. I, I like all of our shows, um, but I really, I really like doing this show with you. Well, right back at you, Doctor. I suppose that's why we keep doing it, at least in part. <laughs> that, for sure, for sure. Well, let's end this show with a little food for thought. Busting myths about the value of food and creating food security, seeing food insecurity as a problem of our own making and owning it, and attempting to understand the trauma that food insecurity infuses into a family are three of the most important programs we produced this year. They may not win the awards from the Michigan Association of Broadcasters or other groups, but they do communicate the greater understanding about this difficult challenge of creating a food secure Michigan. Thank you for listening to us via WJR, our podcast, and for following us on social media. Thank you for writing to us, even when you disagree with us. Thank you for those of you, like our friends at Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan, who believe in us and come alongside of us to do, as many of you say, doing God's work. We are humbled and thankful at the same time. Remember to thank a farmer, check on your neighbor, and in the meantime, we will continue to put and keep food first, folks. Food first. Food first.
Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.